Good morning. Good to see all of you here this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. You know, my wife likes to watch these uh, home improvement shows, home renovation shows. You know the ones I'm talking about? Well, I'm turned on. Sorry. <laughs> you can tell me all you want that you can't hear me, but I'm turned on. How about now? Nope. Let's all turn around and stare at Steve <laughs> and see if he can figure out. Is that, that good? As I was saying, my wife likes to watch these home renovation shows. Flip or Flop, Property Brothers, what's the one with Chip and Joanna Gaines? Uh, yeah, Fixer Eye. I guess she's not the only one that watches them. Sometimes I get held hostage and I watch these shows with her. And one thing I've noticed about these shows is nothing ever goes as expected. And I guess that's the drama of it. You've got to create this drama. But they, every show's quite the same. The blueprint is similar in that they buy this property. It's going to be an easy get in, get out, make $50,000, and everything's going to be great. And never fails. They get in there and they find the, the slab is, you know, cracked. The foundation is messed up. There needs a new roof. It, it's you know, riddled with termites. Of course, they place the drama right before commercial, so you have to hang on and come back and see what happens. And, of course, at the end of it, they still make fifty dollars to $100,000 on the flip and everything goes smoothly. But they make you think that they're going to lose money and that it's never going to, you know, they're never going to be in business again and all this kind of stuff. One thing that I've learned in watching these shows is renovation never goes as planned and it always costs more than was expected. But if you think it's hard to renovate a home, try renovating a human being. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 reads like this. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. Let me ask you, if you could change anything about yourself, what would it be? Maybe, uh, like me, you'd add some more hair? Might want to be skinnier, maybe taller? What would you change if you could change anything? Maybe your curb appeal is good. Maybe you've got good bones. Maybe it's not something cosmetic that you would change. Maybe it's something internal. What would you change if you could change anything about yourself internally? Maybe have a better attitude? Maybe uh, be less impatient? Maybe someone who was uh, a little more kind? I don't know. One thing that you find out about human beings real quick is that change is hard. Human beings change very slowly, if at all. Renovation is tough. Spiritual growth is tough. It can seem like it takes forever. Sometimes it does. I know when my family goes back to Arkansas, the 10-hour drive, and we spend some time there and it's time to come home, we're ready to come home. I'm ready to get in the car. I'm ready to get home. Let's don't stop. Let's just get there. I'm ready to get back to Abilene. And I get to Texarkana, and technically Texarkana is halfway. But you look at the mile markers, and it'll say Dallas, 160 miles. And then you go 160 miles, and it says, Dallas, 160 more miles. You know, it just seems like it takes forever. That drive is the longest stretch, the most boring stretch 
at least that I've driven, because you're anxious, you're ready to get home, right? And spiritual growth and development can seem that way. It can seem like it takes forever. But you know what? If you keep driving and you keep plotting, you're going to get to your destination. Eventually, we're going to get to Abilene. Eventually, you're going to get to heaven, but it's going to take some work. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort, some energy. You've heard this word sanctification probably many times in your life. It's a church word. It's also a biblical word. And that word sanctification is often coupled with another word that you hear quite often, justification. So just to separate the two, justification is being declared not guilty before a holy God. Being declared righteous before a holy God. Sanctification is the process of being made holy by a holy God. You can look at it this way. Justification is a declaration. Regeneration is a new birth. Sanctification is consecration. And glorification is the result. And so you have sanctification, which is the process of being made holy by a holy God. It starts with justification, which is being justified by a holy God, being declared not guilty even though you are. So you can't have sanctification without justification. It all starts with justification, and God is the only one who can justify you. So we got all that. We understand all that. In the Greek, sanctification is the word hagiosmos, and it means this, separation to God, the course of life befitting those so separated. Hagiosmos is also used in the New Testament in reference to separation of the believer from evil things and ways. The Hebrew writer stated like this, Pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. You can't go to heaven without being sanctified. That's what the Hebrew writer states. It's a concept we see over and over again in the Bible, which is telling. When you consider how many people have made a one-time confession of faith and think that I'm good. Once I'm in, I'm in, right? I don't have to do anything else. Or people like you and me that sometimes believe, well, I got baptized, I'm good. No, this is a process. It's a process of progress. It takes time. This is not life insurance. This is not fireproof insurance. This is a process. So it's not a one-time decision like you've heard me say over and over again. Baptism is not the, 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 the finish line. It's the starting point. And sanctification begins at that point, and it lasts throughout your lifetime. In Genesis chapter 3, we know what happens. We see the fall of man because Adam and Eve partook of that forbidden fruit. And what we see is a fall in the garden, and then you, you, you go all the way to Revelation 22, and you find another garden, you have the tree of life, right? And so what do we see happen between these two gardens? Couch between these two events. The fall of man in Genesis 33, the tree of life in Revelation 22, you have redemption, right? You have a story of God buying his people back. It's a beautiful story and one that we have talked about a whole lot lately. Within that story of redemption is also the story of sanctification. It's being made holy by a holy God. We see this, be holy as your heavenly father is holy. Because God's chosen people are different. They are sanctified. Sanctification is a process. As we looked at in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24 a moment ago, you see that Paul gives the very basics about sanctification. Very quickly, he gives five Ps for sanctification. The first one is the person. It says, now may the God of peace himself. Only God can justify you. Only God can declare you righteous. 
Like we said a couple of weeks ago, he is the only one in the resurrection business. So salvation begins and ends with God, and everything that occurs in between involves God. For the Christian, this is represented by a dash, isn't it? I mean, every tombstone has a birth date and a death date, and in between is a dash. And that dash represents the life you live between the birth date and the uh, death date. That dash, for a Christian, represents the sanctification process. It represents everything that went on in between your birth and your death, really everything that happened from the moment that you obeyed the gospel and you continue to obey the gospel the rest of your life. God is the author and perfecter, the source of your faith and your spiritual progress. Sanctification starts with God, and so if you haven't started with God, you really hadn't started, right? Secondly, you have the purpose. Paul wrote, sanctify you entirely. This phrase reveals something that we're going to delve into in a little more detail here in just a moment. It's the fact that we're all unfinished, that your story is still being written. It's not completed. Not yet, anyway. It will be someday, but not right now. Today, we are spotted with holiness, but someday we will be consumed with it. Someday we will be immersed in it. Someday we will be perfected, but not yet. God's been working on some of you for 40 or 50 years. He will continue to work on you as long as you allow him till the day that you pass. The prospect is next. Paul writes, and may your spirit and soul and body be preserved complete. That phrase gives us insight into the full range of sanctification. In order for this to happen, in order for sanctification to occur, we have got to allow God to conduct his renovation project. God leaves nothing halfway done, nothing. We can be assured that what he begins, he will finish. Renovation has to be complete. It has to be whole. It can't be halfway done. You know, Chip and Joanna Gaines, whenever they're doing their show or whoever's hosting one of those renovation shows, they see something that I don't always see or maybe that you don't always see. They see a finished project. That's why they can deal with the mess. I think that's what God sees as well. Then you have the position, without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to imagine the day of judgment kind of like a wedding. And God says, if there's anyone here who believes that this person shouldn't be in heaven, let him speak now forever hold his peace. And nobody can say anything. Dead silence. Because there's neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities. Remember all that? We are more than conquerors, as the original language has it. We are super conquerors because God is on our side. You will be made complete. You're not there yet, and that may discourage you. But spiritual growth, sanctification, while it can be frustrating, you can take heart that there's good things ahead for God's people. And finally, you have the promise. Faithful is he who calls you, and he also will bring it to pass. So here you have the promise. This is the promise of hope. We're putting all of our eggs in the basket of God's faithfulness. And that's okay. We can do that. In fact, we should do that because we can rest assured that it's well-placed. Putting all our eggs in this basket means that when the process may seem frustrating, when we might get discouraged, when it seems slow, we keep running towards the finish line because God will finish what he started. A few years ago, Libby and I were uh, in Boston. She was running the marathon. I wasn't, just to make that clear. I stood at the finish line and watched people cross. I had an 
a deal I could follow on my phone, her bib number, and so I could keep up with her, and so I kind of knew about when she was going to finish. And so I stood at the finish line, and I saw all sorts of people cross. I saw people in wheelchairs cross. I saw soldiers carrying full gear crossing the finish line. I saw some people crossing the finish line who were way far away from finishing first, still jumping up in the air and celebrating because they had finished. I saw people crossing the finish line who collapsed in the arms of race officials who then took him over to the medical, uh, medical tent to get attention. I just stood there at the finish line shouting, folks, you don't have to do this. No, I didn't really. I started to. But as I watched people finish, I thought, this is a really apt illustration of the Christian race. I mean, I picture this in my mind. That when we finish the Christian race, when our time on earth is done, we cross the finish line completely exhausted, falling into the arms of Jesus, also celebrating because we had finished the race. And that's the thing about the, the Christian race that we have to understand. You don't have to beat anybody. You don't. Royce doesn't have to beat James. That's not how this works. It isn't a competition. You just have to finish. And you can't win a race you don't start. And you can't win a race you don't finish. So you got to be a finisher. That's what being a disciple is all about. You know, I, I ask my wife sometimes, have I used this illustration before? You know, I've been here 11 years, and it's hard to remember sometimes. And she says, Chris, if you can't remember, I guarantee you the people don't remember. <laughs> so there's a good chance I've used this illustration before, but it fits so perfectly with what we're talking about. Back in 1501, Michelangelo was commissioned to do the, the work on that masterpiece known as David. You remember that masterpiece? It's a 17-foot-tall statue. It's, it's displayed somewhere now where people all over the world come and look at it and admire its greatness. But there was, there was a piece in this, this huge chunk of marble that you know, Michelangelo was commissioned to, to make something great out of. And in this piece of marble, there was a crack at the bottom that stymied other sculptors. Even Leonardo da Vinci, uh, da Vinci didn't know what to do with it. And so Michelangelo turned that into like a, a stump that David's leg would rest on. And, and he begins chipping away the marble, and he comes up with this beautiful, well-known statue. And when asked about this masterpiece, he says this. He says, in every block of marble, I see a statue as plain as though it stood before me, shaped and perfect in attitude and action. I have only to hew away the rough walls that imprison the lovely apparition to reveal it to the other eyes as mine see it. In other words, Michelangelo cut away everything that didn't look like David. He sees a block of marble and he sees David and he cuts away everything that doesn't look like David. All of us are God's work of art. All of us, each and every one of us are a masterpiece. And all of us are works in progress. We're not finished. Not yet. We've, we're not perfected yet. We are still being chipped away at and still being sculpted by God. We are a masterpiece, but we're not perfected yet. So God looks at this chunk of marble named Chris McCurley, and it's misshapen, and it's marred, and it's got cracks in it. And he begins chipping away everything that doesn't look like Jesus. And in my mind, he's got a long way to go. But i got to let him work. I've got to submit to his will and let him work because what God starts, he's going to finish if we let him. 
We are all a construction zone. And if you know anything about construction zones, you know that they're messy, they're loud, they're frustrating, they're irritating, sometimes they're dangerous, sometimes they're unsightly, there's bumps, there's lane changes, there's starts and there's stops, and worst of all, there's delays. However, to the engineer, the construction zone is a rather pleasant place because he knows what's going to come from it. You can't get to the beauty of whatever the finished product is without the construction as you see me standing here before you this morning, you see a, a husband, you see a father, a preacher, you see a 46-year-old man that maybe is wearing nice clothes and has a smile on his face, but I am a construction zone. I don't have it all together. Maybe you think I should. But I'll just let you know, I don't. I should wear a sign around my neck that says, work in progress. Because that's what I am. Your preacher struggles with the same things that you struggle with. Maybe he should be above all this, but I'm not. There's a lot going on here. Sometimes it's messy. Sometimes, you know, there's lane changes and there's bumps and there's, there's all sorts of potholes. But I trust that God is making me into something great. That at the end of it all, what he has constructed will be made perfect in all eternity. You are unfinished, and it's important for you to understand that because that eliminates hopelessness. Hopefully, that eliminates hope, uh, hopelessness. You ever been stopped on a highway where they're doing construction? You're trying to get somewhere, and, and, and there's... There's a stoppage maybe on the interstate, and you're thinking, how long is this going to take? And you try to look ahead and try to see, you know, how, how traffic is moving. You know, maybe you get on your phone, you look at, uh, you know, an app and, and try to see how far the traffic jam backs up. You've got somewhere to be, and you're thinking to yourself, what are they doing up there? How can they stop traffic for this long in the middle of the day? we got places to go, people to see, right? Why don't they do this at night when it's less busy? Why are they doing this right now? Why this particular road? And then all of a sudden you start moving a little bit, don't you? May only be going five miles per hour, but you're moving. And so there's hope that eventually you might be going 75 again. As long as you're moving, there's some hope. The same is true in our spiritual lives. Whenever there's a delay, whenever it seems like you're moving at a snail's pace. Remember these words, the last part of verse 24, and he also will bring it to pass. Your version may read, he will do it. He will. He will do it. He will cause it to come to pass. Because while we are not a finished product yet, and maybe finished seems so far away, remember that God always finishes what he starts Remember the words of Paul in Philippians 3, 12 and following. It says, not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which I also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. 
Paul's talking about perseverance. He's talking about the process of progress. He's talking about sanctification and the end result. So I want you to imagine that, that you're this block of stone or marble, and God comes to you and says, do you want to be made great? Do you want to be made into a marvelous masterpiece? And you say, yes, God, I want that more than anything. And so he gets out his hammer and his saw and his drill. He starts chipping and slicing away. And you say, well, wait a minute, what are you doing? This hurts. Yeah, but this is what it takes. I've got a thing that doesn't look I've got to get you to that point where you look like the masterpiece that you want to be. And that doesn't happen without some drilling, without some slicing, without some sawing, some jackhammering, and all those things, right? If we want to be made great, we've got to submit to the process. Sanctification is by grace, but it's not automatic. And you don't get there by taking the HOV lane or, or putting it on cruise control. It's not how this works. Here's the thing. What often veers us off track in this whole process, in our daily walk with God, is we tend to focus on one of two extremes. Filthy garment or pristine white robe. We're either one or the other. And most of us think we're a filthy garment. But let those extremes or those absolutes orient you. That's all that they're there to do. Think of it more as change and not one or the other. You're going from a filthy garment to a beautiful, pristine white robe. And as long as you're heading in the proper direction, change is occurring, right? You ever... Uh, Sit in math class and you have those really annoying math problems. You know, if you're going from Boston to Philadelphia and at one point in the trip you travel 60 miles per hour and uh, then you slow down to 40 miles per hour for like three hours and then you stay stopped in traffic for like two hours, how long is it going to take you to get to, you know, Philadelphia? You remember those questions like that and you think, I don't know. Is that what sanctification is? Is it about getting from point A to point B in the fastest time? No, no, that's not what it is. You know what sanctification is about? It's about going in the right direction. Because you can head out from Boston going to Philadelphia and actually be heading in the wrong direction, going 75, 75 miles per hour and, and never make it. You could be sitting in traffic outside of Boston, but as long as you're going in towards the direction of Philadelphia, then you're good, right? Same is true with sanctification. The process seems slow at times. Sometimes you're bounding like a gazelle and other times you're moving like a tortoise. Sometimes you, you, have to, you have to crawl. Sometimes it, it seems like you're stalled out sitting on the side of the road. Sometimes people even come by and have to pick you up and carry you for a while. As long as you're heading in the right direction, that's what's most important. Sanctification is about going in the right direction. And sometimes it's messy, sometimes it's difficult, sometimes it's hard. But at the end of the day, are you going in the right direction? Whether you're bounding like a gazelle or moving at a tortoise pace, are you moving in the right direction? Because what happens is in the process of sanctification, there's always that temptation to quit, right? There's always a temptation to quit. You say, this is too hard. I'm not getting anywhere. I, you know, I veer off track and I can't get back going again. It's kind of like church attendance. You know, you, it's, it's easy to get in the habit of coming. It's easy to get in the habit of not. And sometimes we just kind of say, you know what? What's it all for anyway? Or we say, I'm further along than I ever have been. I'm better off today than I used to be, so that's good enough. There's always the temptation to quit 
during a process like sanctification. Don't. Don't quit. Keep moving. Even if you're moving at an inchworm's pace, keep moving. Don't quit. Keep playing. Even when you're hurt, keep going. Because the important thing is you're heading in the right direction. The key to sanctification is going in the right direction. And I'm not trying to make light of your sin. I'm certainly not trying to say that, you know, your sin is really not that important. Sure it is. Sin is still a personal affront to a holy God. But don't let that be the reason you give up. God is making something beautiful. And he's going to finish it if you keep going in the proper direction. Keep moving forward. You know, I love, I love reading the Psalms. And one thing about the Psalms is that you see a lot of lamenting. You know, especially by David. You see songs of lament. You know, we don't realize always that psalms were hymns meant to be sung. You know, you see the Israelites singing these hymns, and you think, why are they singing these hymns? You know, what does this have to do with their, their daily walk with God? And you see that with David. You see David in despair. You see him in the pit. Psalm 88 is one such place. And I want you to notice what is written in Psalm 88, 6 and 7. It says, you have put me in the lowest pit. In dark places, in the depths, your wrath has rested upon me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. Selah, and selah, as we've said before, means pause. It means stop. It means consider. It means meditate on what I just wrote or what I just said. David often is crying out to God, why God? Why have you let this happen to me? Why is this happening to me? That's why when I counsel with folks, I'll counsel with people, and sometimes they'll say to me, Chris, I just don't understand why God did this. It, it, I'll be honest with you, I, I'm, I'm mad at God. And I say, have you told him? They say, well, you can't do that. You can't tell God that. Well, David did. I mean, we see it in the Bible. He knows anyway, right? But here's the thing. Here's the difference maker. I don't have it up on the screen, but you can go back to the very first line of Psalm 88. And what you see is that David's prayer is properly oriented. O oh Lord, God of my salvation. Who's David crying out to? The only one who can get him out of the pit. I think David represents us in a lot of ways when it comes to the sanctification process. There's times that we feel like we're in the pit. And unfortunately, not always do we feel like we can get out of the pit or that somebody will help us get out of the pit, right? We're lying in that pit. Certain people walk by. Maybe an IRS agent walks by and says, you're going to have to pay taxes on that pit. You know, somebody else walks by, maybe, you know, a psychiatrist, psychologist, you know, I'd make you feel better about being in that pit. You know, sorry, Stephen. Uh, but Jesus, God comes along and says, I'll get you out of the pit. I can get you out of that pit. Are your cries properly oriented? David's worth. Oh, Lord, God of my salvation. David understood the only one who could get him out of that pit. Even though he was in deep despair, even though it seemed like his daily walk with God was not going all that well. In fact, he fell in a pit in his mind. God could get him out. And so he cried out to the only one who could help him. The problem with progress is the, is the potential for it to be fatal. Sadly. Many people give up before it's over because they don't think that they can make it. Keep moving forward. I have a good friend by the name of Rob Goodenough who's the, uh, who's the principal at Wiley East Elementary. And, and he always uses the, the hashtag, best is the standard, with his teachers, with his students. Best is the standard. I love that. Certainly that's the case in our daily walk with God. 
Best is the standard. Maybe you're better off than where you were, but it's not best. Jesus is the standard. Best is the standard. Therefore, that's what we're striving to live up to. I'm told that high in the Alps, there is a, a grave marker for a gentleman who died rescuing some people who were stranded up in the Alps. He died on that rescue mission, and written on his gravestone, on that grave marker at the point where he died, are the words, he died climbing. That's us as Christians. We should die climbing. Our end result should be that we die climbing. How annoying is this sign? That's a pretty annoying sign, isn't it? You see that sign as you're driving down the road and you think, oh no. Your blood pressure starts to rise and you think, hopefully it's not that bad. But then you see this sign and you're like, okay. I know I'm going to be stopped at least for a little while. Hopefully not for very long. How about this sign? Yikes. Hate that sign, don't you? You're going along at a good rate. You think you're making record time. You're going to be there way before your appointment. And then you see expect delays and you're thinking, oh, no. I don't know an alternate route. I'm just going to have to stay on this road because I don't know any other way to go. This sign guarantees that I am probably not going to make it to my destination anytime soon. We don't like that sign. Such is the case with sanctification. You know, it's funny. We want smooth, paved roads. We even cry out to our city council, make our roads better, right? And so they put a bond up, and we, we vote for the bond, and then we gripe and complain because the roads are being worked on, right? But you can't have it both ways. You can't have it both ways. If you want nice, smooth roads, then you've got to go through construction. You've got to have a flagger. You've got to expect delays. You've got to find alternate routes. It's going to be messy. It's going to be ugly at times. It's going to be noisy, but that's the case with construction. To have that beautiful finished product, you've got to go through the mess, right? How about this sign? I like that sign. I like to see that sign, especially after it's been like 10 years that they're working on the road. Seems like they're always working on I-30 when I go home. I like to see that. I think it's a little presumptuous to say thanks for your patience, right? Because probably weren't very patient. Wouldn't that, be a, wouldn't that be a really good inscription on our tombstone? Don't you think? What if our grave marker had those words on it? As a Christian, end of construction, thank you for your patience. How nice would that be? One more scripture, and I'll leave it. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you, will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's sanctification, right? He will perfect it. Keep moving forward. Keep setting best as the standard. Keep doing everything you can to head in the right direction, even when it's difficult. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we love you. We love this church. We love what you are doing here. But we also know that nothing will be accomplished without us seeking to be more like Jesus, 
seeking to be your hands and your feet in this world. It all starts with the process of sanctification with us, and we pray that we can seek to be better people, that we can set the goal as being the best that we can be by being more like Jesus. We pray that we can follow you, that we can invest in a life of discipleship, that we can seek to be all you would have us to be so that we can be that shining light in the community around us, so that we can help others know about you, to follow you. We pray, God, that we can just be finishers. Help us, God, through the process when it seems difficult, when it seems hard, when it's messy. Help us to remember that we are all a construction zone and that at the end of it all, you're going to make us into something beautiful and perfect for all eternity. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. Here's the invitation. I love you. And God loves you. And God wants all of us in heaven. What are you doing to get there? And if we can help you, come as we stand and as we sing.